1: Fans, welcome back to another Buzz Beat. This is Richie, and we have now arrived at the day of free agency. Teams and players can start negotiating today at 6 p.m. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to make you guys aware of two things. Number one, I did a post on Substag that outlines this free agency stuff for Charlotte. And I will go ahead and put that link in the episode notes below. Some of the stuff I will be talking about is also reiterated in the in the piece. Maybe there's some things in the piece that I don't mention on this episode and vice versa. Number two, continue to send in those reviews on Apple Podcasts. That is really the easiest way for you guys to support us. And it's the quickest way for you guys to support us without any kind of monetary donation or subscription. All right, let's take a look at the salary cap stuff first and see where the Hornets fall with their monies and how it stacks up with what options they have available for free agency. Again, starting at 6 p.m. today, negotiations can start. If there is no tampering going on, that's when it's supposed to start. So the twenty-three, twenty-four salary cap for the NBA for all teams is set at hundred and thirty-six million dollars and some change. And depending on how you want to calculate this, you know, some people don't calculate the cap holds, but you you gotta you gotta do that like for the for the sake of figuring out what exceptions the Hornets can use. The Hornets are over the cap with their rostered players and their cap holds. And again, cap holds are just placeholders for these free agents. And so the chart, the graph, the table, whatever you want to call it that I have, I've got 12 rostered players. And those 12 rostered players include the two cap holds for the first round rookies, which you have to take into account. It's not like you can renounce those first round players, they're going to be on the team. So the rostered players here, are the 12, Nick Smith Jr. and his cap hold, LaMelo Ball, Rozier, Book Knight, Nick Richards, Mark Williams, Bryce McGowans, Cody Martin, Hayward. You have JT Thor, who's on a non-guaranteed contract as of now, Kai Jones, and then Brandon Miller and his cap hold should probably also say that that Kobe Simmons is rostered. He has a non-guaranteed salary. But if I was a betting man, he's not factoring into this equation. So those are the 12 rostered players, not including the free agents, but that's what we've, we've got to work off of right now. So when you take into account those numbers, you're under the cap. Obviously, but that ignores the cap holds completely of the Hornets free agents of Ubre, DSJ, PJ Washington and Miles Bridges. So considering all that, like I said before, they are over the cap. The team is actually $22 million over the cap and about 6 to $7 million under the tax. Now, that's not where they're ultimately going to land because these players aren't going to sign exactly for those cap hold spots and who knows who's coming back and what other free agents the Hornets would want to target that are not currently on the team as we speak. So with cap holds, sometimes it's, it's a complex concept to understand. And I'm going to try to explain it in its simplest terms and how it works within a cap sheet. For example, we've got PJ Washington. He's got a cap hold of $17 million. Miles Bridges has a cap hold of $16 million. Dennis Smith Jr. has a hold of about $2 million because he was on a minimum last season. And then Oubre is on a hold of $16 million. So these are placeholders, like I mentioned before, until a team, whether that's Charlotte or or somebody else, signs these free agents or they are renounced from Charlotte, that's the only way that these come off the books. Renouncing them doesn't make a ton of sense because you'd really only be doing that to create cap room, which then you would lose the ability to use the bird rights on, let's say, P.J. Washington, for example. In addition to keeping the matching power, which you would want, bird rights are important because it allows Charlotte to sign P.J. and go over the cap. It will enable them to offer 8% raises, which oftentimes helps sway players In the long run, when they sign these multi-year contracts, so maybe the starting salary is very similar, but when you have those raises over the course of three to four years, that comes into play, and in the end, they get up to a higher amount by re-signing with the team that they were originally with. So I don't expect them to renounce their own free agents. It doesn't make sense unless there's some kind of greater plan in play, which I don't think there is. But let's talk about the four free agents as players and the priority I would place on these players heading into free agency. Now, obviously, this has nothing to do with what Mitch Kupchak feels or the Hornets feel. It would be how I would prioritize them. Number one of the four that we just mentioned to me is P.J. Washington. I think that he needs to be the first option first priority in bringing him back and they had the opportunity to bring him back and extend him last offseason I believe the Hornets were rumored to be offering him something like 15 million per year and he was wanting something closer to 20 I again it's hard for me to judge where he will ultimately end up and like i mentioned his cap hold is is 17 million but i i could see him going anywhere from 17 to 18 million all the way up to 23 24 25 million it it really just depends but as a player play style he is the perfect guy to fit the mold of a plug and play player the versatility that he has in his game on both ends of the court I think naturally when you think of him and you watch him, you immediately see the pick-and-pop ability, setting screens, popping out to the three-point line and knocking them down, and it puts the defense in a difficult position um, in terms of how they're going to guard the guard versus trying to shade P.J. Washington. He's also one of those players that when he's on the court, you get the right type of shots at the rim, from behind the arc. A lot of the statistical data backs that up when he's on the court. You do get open looks because he keeps the ball moving and he just makes the right play. He's constantly moving off ball and then when he does have the ball, it doesn't stick. It's not like he's pounding the rock eight times trying to size up his defender or not knowing where the ball needs to go next. He's he's very much a connector and he extends the play, extends the the advantage that the Hornets do have and you're going to get open looks because he's on the on the court. Will he ever be a second option? No. Will he ever be a third option? Probably not. So that's where you get into the idea, wow, you're going to be paying this guy, you know, 19 million, 20 million dollars a year for him to be a guy that is a third option at best, but probably a fourth best starter. I don't know. I mean, at, at least at least he's not a guy, like if you think that he's going to be a third option or a second option, it's probably on a team that's not consistently competing for a playoff spot on a yearly basis, but that's okay. I think having said all that, even though it feels like he's more of a low usage guy, pick and pop, just use him in, in screening situations, I do think he's improved his on-ball skills in his pull-up jumper. And there are times when you place the ball in his hands. He can be beneficial to the Hornets. He's got a counter for when he doesn't pick and pop, he can roll and slip. He's really improved his running floater game, something that I started to notice back in November and December and started highlighting that and underlining that on Twitter. And then it eventually hit national news with Zach Lowe putting out his 10 things column in late January about this very thing you know it wasn't amazing efficiency maybe like 44 45 46% on running floaters but for the first time in his career he added something to his game with volume and it seems like it could be a part of his game again this season and then defensively we talk about versatility on offense he's got the defensive role versatility as well he can play out on the perimeter switch out there uh for most part he can guard most fours and fives there are some fives in the league that give everyone problems and that's going to be a difficult matchup for mark or pj but i I do like his ability to switch across three to four positions and i think he has a good mix of power speed and just getting down into stance and competing on that end and then he also has the ability on occasion to get the weak side block and, and create events and, and make the Hornets get out and transition, something that they really do love. So I think that it would be a mistake for the Hornets to lose out on P.J. Washington uh, in his restricted free agency if it comes down to him or Miles Bridges. Not that that's going to be the case, but if it does, it's going to be a difficult decision for the Hornets front office to make, but he
0: would be my top priority. Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped,
1: the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Number two, I think this might be controversial, or maybe I'll say 2A, is Dennis Smith Jr., He's a he's a difficult one to predict in terms of his value. I don't know what the value is across the league. How do people view DSJ? I do think that he may have priced himself out of the biannual, something that the Hornets do have access to. The biannual is worth $4.5 million uh, per year, or I guess at least in that starting salary for that first year. And that just may not be enough to bring DSJ back with the way that he played last season. So the options, as I understand it, are this, in terms of bringing him back next year. Because he has the non-Bird exception or the non-qualifying veteran free agent, whatever you want to call it, his previous salary or the minimum salary, whichever is greater, you take that number and you multiply it by... 120 percent 1.2 last year he played on a 2.1 million dollar contract the minimum salary for players of six years experience is about 2.5 so we're going to use that 2.5 number multiply it by 1.2 and he could have a salary of three million dollars a little bit over that with five percent raises up to four seasons i don't think that's going to get it done and so when i was talking about earlier with the biannual that is not allowed to have four seasons. You can have it up to to two years, but that one starts at $4.5 million with 5% raises. Again, not sure that's going to be enough. And just because they use the MLE on another player, mid-level exception, they still have the option of using this this BAE on Smith Jr. here. So if the $4.5 million is not enough, then they have the option of using part or whole of the mid-level exception that's up to $2.4 million with 5% raises. And that also can go to four seasons. Again, I don't think that it would be wise for the Hornets to use a bunch of that on him, especially if they're thinking about other free agents from other teams. But having said that, like looking back on his season last year, he was probably the best story last year in terms of his production the way that he surprised people, even you know, even though he was signed so late in the offseason, still ended up exceeding pretty much everyone's ex- expectations. That was cool to see. I think Nick Richards probably has a case to be made that his story was pretty cool too, but DSJ just made a, a pretty big impact. And I think when you think of Charlotte's inability to keep a backup point guard, you have to make him a priority. And I'm even saying more than Miles Bridges at this point. And again, it could be a 2A, 2B type of thing. And I'm not saying this is what the Hornets are going to do, and I don't think that this is how they prioritize this. But if I would assume that PJ is retained, I think you know, looking at PJ and DSJ bringing back, I think that's a pretty interesting combo to bring back because of their effectiveness last year. And I'm not making the case that he's better than Miles, that that's not the case. No one's going to make the case that DSJ is a better player than Miles Bridges, but he just fills a big need. And I'm, I'm going to get to Bridges next here in a second, but DSJ, a huge rim pressure guy, something that continues to be an added bonus for this team. And obviously the Hornets don't do a good job of finishing at the rim. I think for his size, his position, he finishes well there. He often does it with a degree of difficulty as well. He makes it look easy because of his athleticism. And he also has no problem in terms of taking it into the paint and kicking it out as well. I think that's something that gets overlooked in his game that you just see the defensive side but you never see the the playmaking in the, in the assist. And you know, I'm not going to rehash the defense by any means, but He wasn't just Charlotte's best individual defender. You could probably make the case that he was one of the better defenders in all of the NBA. And yes, his minutes and his role were certainly decreased when you kind of match him up against some of the other guys that were in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. So that's why he'll never be in that conversation. But you know, when he was on the court, he was a pest on and off the ball. He's going to body up smaller guards and make it hard for them to get inside. He's going to get his hands in passing lanes. He's going to get deflections. He's going to get loose balls. That's just a part of his defensive DNA. And one thing he does need to work on, and maybe it never develops, is his three-point shooting. And I believe his offensive game overall is just somewhat limiting. But he has the ability to play as the backup point guard, but also play alongside LaMelo as their games complement each other very well. LaMelo, when he's out there, needs a guy beside him that can take on the point of attack, that can take on a larger role on the defensive end. Lamelo, when he's out there on the offensive end, he's prone to taking a lot of shots from behind the arc. His rim attempts have gone down pretty drastically over the years. Well, DSJ can be that rim pressure guy. So they do balance each other very well. And if the Hornets do lose out on DSJ... The backup point guard position is going to be another conversation that the Hornets are going to have to have and how they're going to fill that moving forward. Again, it's it's been like a revolving door there. And so, again, 2B, 3, Miles Bridges, that would be my next priority on the list. And strictly as a basketball player, there's no doubt that he deserves to be a priority over DSJ. But when you factor in the rust from not having playing over a year You factor in the image that he's needing to get repaired, the suspension that he's going to face, 10 games to start the season, and all those things that surround him and the PR staff of this team, you have to take a step back and consider and and weigh that as an option and look at it a little bit differently. Now, hate to say this, but because of the incident last season, he will be cheaper than expected. Probably would have got $30 million last year. He should be willing to concede that to make sure he gets right with the league, that he gets right with this team. He earns back the trust of his teammates, the city, the organization, and all that type of stuff. So that's that's a concession that he will have to make. That's something that probably will be a part of the negotiations. And I, And I love what Miles brought as a basketball player to the team in 2021. I like to think that I was hyping up his playmaking ability before it was cool, before people kind of caught on. Yeah, that was an awesome development in his game because in his first two and a half seasons or so, he was primarily a low-usage, spot-up shooter, stationary guy. But now he can do more with the ball in his hands, and that just opens up a ton in his game. It makes him a more challenging player to defend, obviously. And just overall, he's got an ability to play through contact on both ends of the court. And I think what we saw you know, throughout his, his synergy with... LaMelo, it's just very evident. It jumps off the screen when they play together. His fast-paced style plays right into the hands of LaMelo. They want to run. Bridges can create some events on the defensive end, too, with uh, weak side blocks and steals. So my hesitations are definitely not on the court, but off the court. And if giving him a second chance is the right thing to do, that's something that I've debated and I'm sure the organization has debated as well. And I get it that Michelle Johnson, the victim is asking for everyone to give him the shot. And maybe that gives or that should give us a little bit more comfort in that she was obviously the one that was directly involved in the domestic violence. And and she's the one that's speaking out on his behalf. And I thought what was interesting, someone in my Twitter comments the other day made an interesting reply about who's going to be the team or teams that, try to submit a offer sheet for Miles Bridges as a restricted free agent, only for it to be matched. And that said team then receives maybe the backlash in trying to go out and acquire Miles Bridges without actually getting the chance to acquire him. So it definitely feels like it's headed this direction with Bridges returning to Charlotte. All the signs are pointing that way. And I guess all we can do at this point is wait it out and see how this... season goes, experience goes with him, not only as a player, but obviously also as a person. And then lastly, my last priority would be Kelly Oubre of the four major free agents that the Hornets do have. I don't think it's any surprise that he's number four on my list or maybe most people's list. It even came out recently that it seems like he's headed for a different team. It doesn't seem like he's going to be back in Charlotte, even though he himself has stated that he wants to say stay in Charlotte, which feels like an uncommon thing to say, like free agents wanting to stay here in Charlotte. So not taking advantage of that feels like a missed opportunity. You know, looking back on his couple of seasons with Charlotte, very much a roller coaster ride with him. His ups, his downs, his inconsistencies, his shooting We've said this plenty of times on the podcast is not as good as one might think. If you just watch some highlights of Kelly Oubre, you would think that he'd be hitting 38, 40% of his threes. And that really, like when you think about it, that's his calling card, or at least that's his, his supposed calling card. But he was only making 32% of his threes last season. And one thing that I did make a mention of when I did the report card episodes at the end of the year and tried to give credit for Kelly Oubre in terms of making more of an impact or exceeding expectations more than people kind of gave him credit for. When you take out the three point shot altogether and just look at some of the other things that he did add to his game in terms of being a pick and roll player, which was a little bit minor compared to maybe him getting into the paint, driving. He upped his drives tremendously this past season. His shot profile just looked better because he wasn't relying so much on that three-point shot, and he was giving defenses something else to look at by getting into the paint, drawing attention there, uh, and trying to get to the rim. So I thought the shot profile was something that you could point to and say, hey, Kelly Oubre did make strides, even though it was something small. But when it's all said and done, even though he was a guy that provi- provided like a ton of, like, Good vibes for this team. It definitely feels like he's on the way out. And I'm not really sure where he fits in with this team now that Brandon Miller has been drafted. If Miles Bridges does come back, you've got Hayward. So he benefited from some of the injuries. Obviously, Miles Bridges being out all of last season. I'm not sure if it's worth it to bring him back. And if he's going to garner you know, $10 million, $12 million. That's just not something that the Hornets should look to offer him. So those are the four Hornets players that are free agents. Uh, I think it's going to be nearly impossible to bring all four back. Three could be possible. Uh, Two seems like the most likely, but you just never know uh, how they're going to prioritize retaining their own free agents versus looking at some other free agents from other teams. All right, let's take a look at some free agents from other teams. And I'm going to mention the ones that I mentioned in my piece, but also throw a couple in briefly at the end here just to kind of give us some idea of where the Hornets could go. They can go almost any direction, and I guess it really depends on... I think DSJ to me is like the swing piece. If he is brought back, clearly guards are not going to be a priority. You know, you can always add more shooting and more guards... Even if DSJ does come back, but with the drafting of Nick Smith Jr., Cody Martin coming back in the pitcher, who knows? Maybe the free agency guard class is not something that the Hornets are going to look for unless they lose out on DSJ. And I talked about the the ways that it's going to be very difficult to bring him back in terms of the biannual might being a little bit too... Too little uh, for his production. Let's just start uh, with a forward, Tory Craig, thirty-two years old, played for the Suns last year. I think with him though, the Suns may try to bring him back with his bird rights. But the thing I like about Craig is he ha- he knows his role. He's a three and D player. He is tenacious on the defensive end. I think that's something that Steve Clifford would absolutely love. And he's. Awesome from the corner. So when Lamelo and Mark Williams and Miles Bridges potentially starts to collapse the defense, you kick it out to him for a corner three. He's gonna drill it more times than not. But I also feel like he might have benefited from being on a team like the Suns that has tons of talent around him, and maybe he's better suited for a team like that that has, you know, top end talent. Where he can just fill in as a low usage three point shooter, but I've always gravitated towards guys that know their role, and maybe the role being three and D also helps as well. But just go back and rewatch that opening round against the Clippers and just see how on fire he was in terms of his shooting. Um, he was one of the better players for the Suns in that series, which is which is saying which is saying something. Let's move on to bruce brown now do not think that this is really a viable option it would take pretty much charlotte just throwing the full emily at him that 12 million and some change right at him the nuggets can't offer him that so that's that's one thing that most teams have when they're competing against denver Uh, the only reason bruce would go back to denver is because he wants to win another championship Uh, There's been rumors that the Lakers have been very interested in Bruce Brown. So that's there too. I think a team that has space obviously would be able to give more than what the Hornets could. But over the course of Bruce's career, his versatility, his ability, kind of like Torrey Craig, to just kind of fit a role, but he was more prominent obviously than Craig. When he was with the Nets, I remember watching him a lot in terms of like how that he was used as a small ball, four, five short roller, making plays out of the short roll. I mean, he was a point guard in college, if I'm not mistaken. So he has the ability to play make. And then last year with Denver, he was a do it all player as well, utilized in a lot of different roles. He played point guard some when Jamal Murray hit the bench. So he's the type of player that you can just mold into any kind of role within the team and defensively he makes an impact there as well guarding pretty much any position on the floor i do think that he's going to be out of charlotte's price range and even if he would accept the mle would he come to a team like charlotte would he come to a team where they would not be competing for an nba championship let alone you know a top four spot in the east and i think that's something that maybe he's looking for to maybe get the money but also compete have a little bit of the best of both worlds so that's why i think maybe denver's at a little bit of a disadvantage only being able to offer him like i think it's like 6 or 7 million dollars he's more of my guy that's like a an option that's more of the pie in the pie in the sky option not as realistic and then let's go to shake milton shake milton this would be a guy that maybe the hornets could target if dsj is out the door 26 years old, backup point guard, combo guard. Uh, In his time with the 76ers, he was in and out of the rotation. I do think he has the ability to get to the rim. I do think he has the ability to be a secondary creator on the second side. And then also teams also have to be aware of his shot as he made 38% of his attempts from the three-point line. He may not be the most flashy name, it's a name to look out for because he could be on the cheaper end and i do think maybe his time in philadelphia is coming to an end and uh, the hornets could use a guard if they are unable to retain dsj also too io desunmu from the bulls is another guy that is probably more expensive than shake milton he has the ability to play on ball off ball A lot of times when I was watching Chicago last year, he was playing in the point guard role. He's got defensive presence. He's got the ability to get to the rim. I think rim pressure, if you're... He kind of has the same profile as DSJ in terms of the defense, the rim pressure, uh, the lack of shooting. So that's another guy that you could look at. And then lastly, we've got the local option, Seth Curry. A guy that will just light it up from downtown. I think what's hampering Curry is the fact that he I wouldn't say he's a one trick pony, but he's a guy that fills a very specific need, which the Hornets do need three-point shooting. But on the opposite end, is he going to offer anything on the defensive end? Probably not. And I think, you know, with the Hornets needing shooting, it's it's perfectly fine to target a guy like this and maybe have him ex- expect him to run the second unit. I'm not sure, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure he really fits, but you can't really turn down a Charlottean, a guy that can consistently hit threes, a guy that can also, when he's run off the line, hit the mid-range shot. Looked this up the other day. He and Jalen Brunson are the only two players from last season that shot 50% on long mid-range attempts and 40% on above-the-break threes, Both of those have having to be a minimum of 130 attempts. So when you include the volume and you include the efficiency, him and Jalen Brunson, unless I miss somebody, were the only two that did that. So he's a guy that's not strictly a spacer. He can take it into the mid-range, pull up as teams run him off the line, and feast that way as well. So a lot of other names out there as well in terms of personal preference. I can't go through them all. Some names I dislike more than others. It's going to be interesting to see, of those four major free agents that the Hornets have, how many are they able to keep. I think that PJ, DSJ, and Miles Bridges are the only ones that I think have a chance to come back. Kelly Ubery, I just think he has one foot out the door, and uh, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Hornets to offer him anything competitive that would... Entice them to come back, especially considering the depth that they now have at the wing forward position. So free agency is always an interesting time. I love it. I like it more than the NBA draft, just because you have the known commodities of the players that have already played the price range, the different mechanisms that teams have to use to acquire players even trades and trade rumors come about sign and trades it just seems like there's a whole lot more movement which there is compared to the nba draft and it just seems a little bit more unpredictable and that's why i like it more than the draft but i know that there are a lot of people that fall in the other camp well, I appreciate you guys sticking with me uh, for this solo pod, and if you are still listening, I have an opportunity for you guys to get six months free of BuzzBeat Plus, Plus. and this is all you got to do. If you have a Twitter account, if you have an email, this will all work out. So you go to your Twitter account between now and 6 p.m. on Friday, June 30th, you need to post a link of this specific episode. You know, with some kind of comment, I don't care what comment you put there. You know, you're listening to the latest BuzzBeat and the free agency episode is enjoyable, something of that nature. So you just post it on your Twitter, but then you've also got to tag us at BuzzBeatPod so that we can see those come through. Anyone and everyone that does that, that is a new member, that is, does not have a paid subscription to BuzzBeat Plus, I will give you six months free but you got to do it between now and 6 p.m. today, Friday, June 30th. So, we appreciate the support. Hopefully after getting that 6-month preview, you might be enticed to buy a yearly subscription. It's it's something that a lot of people do to support us regardless of maybe the benefits that come your way, but you do get ad-free episodes. You get early access to episodes. Some episodes are released days in advance. The Brandon Miller film breakdown video was released 48 hours later on the public feed. So if you want to get your hands on things early and without the ads, and you're not having to worry about that, BuzzBeat Plus is an awesome option. But you have an opportunity right now, between now and 6 p.m., to get those tweets out and tag us at BuzzBeatPod, and I will automatically sign you up with your email. Uh, We'll we'll get in contact via Twitter. But appreciate it, guys. Continue sharing this with Hornets friends and fans. Uh, We appreciate you guys so much. Take care.